Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. It's Sunday evening, and welcome to Blog Talk Radio. Your hosts for tonight's show are Robert Brining and Jeremy Dunn. They'll be taking your calls and speaking on the topic of the week. You're encouraged to call in and share some of your life experiences with us. The number to call is 347-215-9442. That number again, 347-215-9442. Welcome to Pause I Am Radio. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to Pause I Am. I am your host, Robert Brining. Um, tonight, my co-host will be Jeremy Dunn, waiting for Jeremy to give us a call into the show. It's Sunday evening, and welcome to Blog Talk Radio. Your hosts for tonight's show are Robert Brining and Jeremy Dunn. They'll be taking your calls and speaking on the topic of the week. You're encouraged to call in and share some of your life experiences with us. The number to call is 347-215-9442. That number again, 347-215-9442. Welcome to Pause I Am Radio. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to Pause I Am Radio. I'm your host, Robert Brining, joined by my co-host this evening, Jeremy Dunn. Jeremy, happy Sunday. Happy Sunday. Sorry for the technical difficulties for everybody. (laughs) What were you doing? No, um, I called in. No, I called in, and I had an echo, so I had to hang up and call back in again. So I just restarted the show, so I apologize for the technical difficulties in the beginning, but I'm glad that you're here, and uh, so how's your week? My week, let's see, my week. My week was went swimmingly. Um, I am working on getting, oh, my God, let me tell you. Okay, so um, where do I start? Monday was busy. Tuesday, busy, busy, busy. Wednesday, way busy. Thursday, even busier than that. Um, But really what's going on is we're trying to, for Carolina's Care Partnership, which was the Regional HIV AIDS Consortium, well, they changed their name to Carolina's Care because they're no longer a regional consortium. So um, we are working on doing a ribbon cutting uh, on July 1st. So if anybody is in the Carolinas or within driving distance, and that's, I would say, a good eight hours for anybody who's driving, um, come on down July 1st, and we're going to be having a ribbon ribbon cutting, and just lots of fun getting getting the org back up and running. Well, not back up and running, but just getting it. Just plowing on, man, just doing the right thing, doing the thing that makes us be here. You know what? I am losing it today. I'm just <laughs> rambling. Blah, 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 That's blah, okay. Blah, blah, blah. No, that's funny because I, um, you know, I have soccer on the brain and all that other stuff. So um, I know. I, I hear you. You totally have. Soccer. I have a lot going on. Yeah, yeah, so we're all yeah, cop and everything. The U.S. game was great and all that good stuff. And then I know. Go Can you to... believe it? One to one. Oh, what, so, what is, oh so so like so, nerve wracking. So can can I just ask a stupid question? Yeah, why go does it go into overtime? Um, I, I they don't go into overtime because you get one point. It was funny because my partner said the same thing. They're set into brackets and like there's four teams in a bracket and each team plays each other and if you tie you get one point. If you win you get three points and then obviously if you lose you get zero. So they put when you draw or get a tie you get one point. I want to clear. It doesn't go into loser. 
Well, it only goes into winner and loser when it goes into, like, championships and stuff like that and further down. No, I want, you'll see as we get into it. <laughs> I, want, I want somebody to win the game and lose the game. That's it. Yeah, well. That's all. Who knows? But we I, have, don't, um, I, don't, I don't want much. It's kind of like hockey. Well, hockey. Anyway, well yeah. They go into stuff like that, but whatever. But we're not here to talk about the World Cup. Um, that's a whole other show. Why um, not? But tonight we, <laughs> tonight we have... Um, a great guy that uh, I was introduced through somebody who contacted me on Facebook to help him with his thesis, a gentleman by the name of Tim. And he's like, oh, you know, you have to meet Toby. And, and then he introduced me to him online. And then, I, you know, I think uh, Toby shot me an email and was telling me about, you know, the different things that he did. And Tim kind of shared it with me uh, previously, um, you know, the cycle of poems that he wrote. Because um, Toby is HIV negative, and he's going to come on and talk about what it's like to be a caregiver for somebody who's HIV positive and the process that he went through. And basically, you know, a different point of view, because we always share from people that are positive going through it, and I don't really know what it's like to be somebody who loves somebody who's HIV positive. So, you know, it'll be an interesting approach and his technique to use poetry um, to kind of share his feelings of of the two-year process is, you know, what's the most important. So I'm going to bring him on. I have him on the line now, so um, please help me welcome Toby to the show. Toby, are you there? Here. Um, thanks for inviting me on. Hey, Toby. Hi. Hi. Uh, it's a pleasure. How are you this evening? I'm fine. I'm fine. Uh, it's been a quiet day. Yeah, uh, it was I'm, I'm kind here. of excited about this. Well, that's good. good We're good. excited to have you here. Um, what would you like me to start with? So let's talk about, um, let's start back, because obviously the poems came later, so let's talk a little bit about um, your partner and, you know, how that, you know, was for you when he diagnosed and stuff like that. Give us a little history. Well, I, I can tell you right from the outset that I'm a believer in love at first sight. Um, it's happened twice in my life, and Norman was the first one. My present partner was the second one. Um, and of all the unlikely places in the world to meet somebody to find true love, I met Norman in the balcony at the old Adonis uh, Gay Theater in New York, which is now gone. In fact, that's one of the poems in the, in the cycle. Um, and it was like, wow, as soon as I looked into his eyes, I knew that I'm in love with him. It was like instant. It was insane. Just insane. Completely impractical. Totally unrealistic. But true. Um, within a half an hour, we were on a train back to from New York to Trenton, where I live. And... Uh, it was just nonstop. We never looked back. Um, Norman was a chef. He was he was actually a world class chef. He was a chef at the Palm Beach Polo Club for five years, and actually prepared meals for the Prince of Wales. Um, his food was incredible. Wow. Um, there were That's times. Awesome. When, I, I I love good food, so you know you know they always say a way to a man's heart is through his stomach, right? That is so true. In <laughs> fact, the, fir- the first time he came down here for a full weekend. Um, I met him at the train station, and he said, first words out of his mouth, you know, I really have a, a desire for escargot tonight. And I thought, oh, God, the snails, oh, yuck, oh, my God, I can't eat snails, right? But I had to put a, a you know, a good face on it. Like, I couldn't act like some kind of, uh, you know, uh, country bumpkin or something. So I said, oh, yeah, sure, escargot, we'll stop at the store. And we did. And he sautéed them up in in butter and and a little garlic, I think. And, oh, my God, they were good. I finished the whole plate. (laughs) Knowing Norman was in education, always. So so Norman was, he was HIV positive, right? He was, but not when I met him. He had not been diagnosed. But within, really within 15 minutes of meeting Norman, he said to me, you know, um, I've never been diagnosed uh, positive, but I have had sex with people who were diagnosed subsequently. So if we like do anything, we've got to be careful. Mm-hmm. And um, that was really a, a great revelation to me because I immediately knew I'd met an honest man. You know, this was somebody that I could trust, and that certainly proved to be the case. Um, and we always were careful. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was over a year later that he was actually diagnosed which was, that was a heavy trip in itself. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, now, what you, did you think, uh, I'm sorry, Jeremy. Go no, ahead. no, no, go ahead. 
No, I was just going to say, Toby. Yeah. Real quick, I just wanted to say when now when he told you that he was positive, did you have any kind of hesitation? Because a lot of people who are positive seem to always fear <coughs> disclosure, especially when they're starting or or meeting somebody new. So, did you? How was it for you? Did you have any kind of cautionary, you know, feelings about it, or? You know, to tell you the truth, no. Um, it was like. Well, actually, you know, in addition to the poems, um, I, I wrote a book about it. Can I just read you the section where that happens? Oh, yeah. Sure. All right, let me let me read that to you then. Um, Norman, since he 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 was since he was a chef, he worked in New York, and at the time I was working for the state of New Jersey, and um, you know I have a house that's full of antiques and twenty thousand books and everything. So there never was any question of us totally living together. He would be down here on weekends, or I would be up there on weekends. Um, okay, sometimes you can see trouble coming, and sometimes it falls out of the sky like a safe in a cartoon. For us, a warm Friday evening in April was the night the safe fell, and it is a vivid memory now, as if it were yesterday, though so many years have gone by. I got to the apartment as usual around 7 p.m., expecting to find Norm scurrying around like a crazy person, tossing pots and pans and making his customary huge mess in the kitchen as he created another masterpiece to start off our weekend. After dinner, we'd make love, then put on club clothes and head off to Splash or Sound Factory or The Monster to dance until the small hours. The anticipation of those Friday nights kept me sailing through the week. This night, I walked into stillness. Nothing was cooking. Usually, Norm's greeting would be something like, Grace, where'd you put my basil? I've been looking for my basil all week. Third shelf, Norm. Well, what's it doing there? I don't keep herbs on that shelf. You keep hiding stuff in my kitchen. You're going to be eating takeout, son. Ah, domesticity. I had come in looking forward to it, but there was only silence. Norm was sitting on the futon with his head in his hands. There was no light but one candle. I knew at once this was serious. I pulled up a chair and sat down facing him. After a while, he looked up at me, and there was a well of pain in those soft brown eyes so intense it gave me a physical shock. Oh, Grace, you know, I haven't been feeling too good. Well, I'm just going to say this. I went and took the test. It, uh, it came back positive. Oh, man, how am I going to tell my mom? This will hurt her heart so much. I'm going to need you now, Grace. You aren't going to leave out on me, are you? The metaphor is accurate. It's just like a safe falling on you. If I hadn't been sitting, yeah, I would have collapsed. I couldn't speak wow. except to croak out the words that I'd never leave him. Couldn't leave him no matter where it led. All I could do was take his hands and cry. I'm going to beat this, he said. You'll see. You help me and we can beat it. I don't know where the next words came from, because Norm wasn't a fan of 30 show tunes. He was an R&D man. But he smiled at me and said, There may be trouble ahead, but while we've starlight, champagne, and romance, let's face the music and dance. I didn't grow up a Broadway baby for nothing. I answered him right back, before the fiddlers have fled, before they ask us to pay the bill, while we still have the chance. We'll face the music and dance. And we did. We went to the monster. I've never danced before or since the way we danced that night. For those few hours, the laws of gravity were repealed. Lost in the dance, the dimension shifted and reality had no meaning. I couldn't tell you now if I was laughing or crying as we performed moves I wouldn't have thought possible. I mean, I've gone to the gym three or four times a week for my entire adult life, but I'm certainly no gymnast. That one night, however, the spirits gave us a gift, and we could fly. Later, as we walked through the soft night to the subway, I said, Well, I'd say they'll remember us at the monster. No, they won't, said Norm. Tomorrow there'll be somebody there with even better moves, but that doesn't matter. What matters is right now, and that's ours. So that was that night. That was that was beautiful. I didn't mean to cut you off. I thought for a second there you finished. Oh, dramatic. Play. But that was that that was very um very touching, very very like real, like beautiful. 
you you write and speak like it's like I felt like I could I could just listen to you go on. <laughs> well, I often <laughs> you do. You know what I mean? Like you have an audio book. <laughs> <laughs> I often do go on. <laughs> um, now, what is, what is the name of the book? Um, Loving Norman. Loving Norman. Now, is that something that is out that people can find or? No, actually, um, I had it privately printed for the families and friends, um, the people that went through it with us. Um, mm-hmm. One of the things I will be grateful for to my dying day is is my friends and Norman's friends um, who, you know, formed a small circle that stood by us through the whole thing, um, especially like the last year when Norman was in and out of the hospital to Brainy in New York. Um, we always made sure that there was somebody there. Somebody was on deck with Norman at all times. And, like, our friends just were so wonderful. I just, <clears throat> I'm speechless when yeah. I think that. That's one of the things that, you know, a lot of people don't think about is that the support for, you know, the partner who, you know, who's taking care of the, the positive partner needs to have that kind of support. So it's very refreshing to hear that you had that support around you to help you do it because it's kind of hard to wear all the hats at the same time. It is, especially when you're not, you know, when, when I'm living in Trenton and he's living in New York. Um, right. One of the things one of the things I'm grateful for is um, the people I worked for at the time. I was a teacher for the Department of Corrections at the time. And, um, you know, my supervisors and, and the bosses, they all knew what was going on. And they would turn a blind eye when I would leave at noon on Friday, you know, um, to get up there, and they they knew why I had to be there, and you know they they gave me a heck of a lot of slack. They really did, and that was it was kindness. You know they were kind people. Well, that's good. You know because the world isn't always so kind. No, right? it is not. No, it is not. So, uh, um, what? Um, so you, you, you've you've written this book. You have. Um, you, you you do this poetry, but you also have a magazine that you you publish, right? Oh yes. But we'll get to that in a second. Okay. Uh, that was just a little teaser. <laughs> um, but uh, I want to know, and because because you're you're negative, and many times actually, I don't think have we ever had somebody negative on the yes. show? Yes. Yeah, we had Alina on. Oh, that's right. Okay, but ah, Alina, com- she's a wonderful person. You yeah, are like coming her. at this from a different perspective because you are a caregiver. Mm-hmm. You're a negative caregiver at that. Right. 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 Um, explain. You know, I'm trying to be delicate because I know it's tough to to watch watch this person that you love. Um, deteriorate but how did you cope with it how did you handle it and and how long ago was it norman passed away in 95 okay so this is we're we're many years past that now that's <laughs> 15 yeah. i know i i wasn't going to put that number in there robert because some of us were still yes anyway um yeah 15 years <laughs> We can still remember that far back, um, but in '95, that was a year before you know highly active retro. You know the heart came out and, and yeah. that sort of thing. How did you handle it at that time, being that care being a caregiver to a gay man with HIV in '95? You know, in in a way, it's a matter of of carpe diem, of let's just deal with today's problem. Because in the back of your mind, you know it's a death sentence. And it's a question, at at that time, you know, and it's a question of how much longer can it be? How much pain can he handle? Um, What do you do if this or that situation arises? One of my fears, to tell you the truth, was that there would come a point where Norman didn't want to go through it anymore and wanted my help in putting an end to it. And I never did figure out what the hell I would do if if I had to cross that bridge. Um, Norman was a a deeply spiritual person. And 
he really believed that the end was in the hands of the gods, the spirits, you know, and so on. And it wasn't for him to, to make an end himself. Um, so I never had to cross that bridge, but God knows I don't know what I would have done if he'd asked me, because I would have done anything for him. Um, so you don't you don't think about those things. You put them in a box, and what you deal with is what's today's crisis, what's this week's crisis. Um, you know, is is his latest doctor's visit? What did that have to say? How, how do we have to cope? What do we? What changes do we have to make? Uh, you know, those kinds of things. You deal with it on a day-by-day basis, and your whole life is consumed by it. Um, you just you don't have time for anything else. Um, so, you know, you, you have to do it because you have to do it. You love the person, and you don't want anyone else to do it. Um, you want to do it yourself because nobody else is going to do it like you do it. Right. I think one of the things that you said that... Um about Norman was that he was shaman, and for people who are listening may not know um, what a shaman is. Can you explain that for them? Sure. So they can understand. Norman uh, had his his own theology. Everybody that knew it, knew him called it Normism. Uh, <laughs> it it was he took from Christianity, he took from Wicca, he took from Native American beliefs because he was part Native American. Um, he took from um, African folk beliefs because he was also Africa Afro American. Um, and he, he blended it. Uh, there was a little Santeria in what he did. Um, all these metaphysical traditions, of course, have uh, a common base. Um, in many cases, they're, they're quite the same thing, with just the names changed. Um, Norman was, was very magical. Um, I learned a lot from him. Um, he was... He was a believer in um, in guardian spirits. Um, what do you call them? Spirit guides? Yes, spirit guides or angels or whatever. In fact, towards the end, there was a very dramatic experience with that. Um, I'll save that for a little bit. Um, and I think that he never expected his spirits and his, his, his protection... Um, to change the bottom line, he expected them to help him along the path that he had to travel, and they did. Um, in other words, this this positive diagnosis, this disease that would in the end kill him, was the path that he had to travel, and he wasn't looking to get off the path. He knew that wasn't possible. He was looking for help along the path. So he he was trying to so he he lost his way sort of is what Lo- is that what you're saying lost his way or really tried to find his own. he was finding his way he was finding right, okay. his way along this this very difficult path trying to figure mm-hmm. out what it meant um what it meant in a spiritual sense um why did this happen to him um you know that sort of thing Mm-hmm. Um, I know yeah, and that's that, normal because a lot of people who are diagnosed, um, you know, go through that. Why did this happen? Especially if they're spiritual in some way, they look for that sort of reason of why was I, why was I the one chosen to experience this in my life, and 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 you know what was the purpose behind it all, and there has to be a reason for it. And I think you know that for for I know people like me, I look at myself like there's a reason, there's a message. A lot of activists like. You know, we'll get out and 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 be that and, and give that message to others. So I think that's important that you you shared about that. That he you know was looking for that reason of why because we all go through that. Sure, sure. Um, I think in the end, his decision was that that um, it, it wasn't so much that there was a specific reason why as as learning to accept what is. You know. In other words, uh, a little, a little more elegantly uh, put, a version of "shit happens, get used to it." Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> that's very true. Um, I did want to um, have you read some of your poems, definitely, because they're, you know, I was, I was reading them over, and I, 
I write poetry myself sometimes, and it kind of helps me get through certain things, and it really helps me get through my diagnosis and, and coming out, you know what I mean? I would always write my feelings down. Was poetry something you always did? Oh, yeah, I've written poetry all my life. Um, I, I write science fiction and, and fantasy and so on, too, and I've, I've actually gotten, you know, some things commercially published over the years, but mostly my writing isn't a career path. It's It's for my own mental health and to entertain my friends and, and you know if it does that that served its purpose um, these poems I wrote just for me and in fact they sat in a drawer for about 10 years before I could even get them out and read them over myself um, I started writing it really before Norman was, was diagnosed uh, as sort of a, a personal journal kind of thing and then it turned into kind of a, a chronicle of, of what we were going through. Um, I'll read one I wrote, which is kind of a preface, even though I wrote it after it was all over. It's called The Plague Years. How can I speak of what passed in those years when my throat closes up and my eyes fill with tears? What can I say to cajole or amaze that can shed any light on those terrible days? That was the time of the fire and ice when the love of a man bore a frightening price. I'll say but this, he was worth what it cost. Though we knew from the start, we were joining the lost. What is man given but the briefest of times? Then, naught left behind but inferior rhymes, keepsakes, photos, all now fading with age. Thoughts jogged by some music, or the smell of new sage. Did we have less than what others might share? I can't tell you that. I neither know nor care. What more can I do than to say this with pride? In a time that was fearful, we lived, loved, and died. Wow. That's really beautiful. That, that, that is beautiful. You know, it was, it was, it, it was a time that's impossible to really uh, explain. When, when suddenly, in a matter of a few years, everyone you know is dying. All your friends, I mean, of of my gay friends from um, the seventies, only one is alive today. All the rest wow. died, and they mostly died within a relatively short period of time. It was like. Um, you reached a point where you were afraid to answer the phone because there was a really good chance it would be somebody telling you that, you know, Tommy or Bill or, or somebody had, had had passed. And sometimes it was even before you knew they were positive. Sometimes it happened very fast. And I'm tempted to think very often that was a blessing because sometimes it did not happen fast and it was endless agony. Mm-hmm. Both physical and spiritual, um, you know, so many cases where people were thrown out by their lovers or their families, um, left with no resources. Uh, just you know, so many cases like that. It was a terrible time. I know one of the things that um, long-term survivors, uh, you know, people living with AIDS, they go through a thing called survivor's guilt, and I was always curious if people who are negative go through survivor's guilt um, okay. with their friends, you know, and, and all that, like, why me? So they, you do. Yes. Um, I, I, I think that with, with some people it was more, it's been, it's more severe than it was with me, but certainly I had to ask myself, why am I alive? Everybody I know is dead. Why am I alive? I did everything they did and more. I mean, my dear, I was a slut. <laughs> <laughs> There is no good reason why I should be sitting here alive today, let alone negative, you know, and yet mm -hmm. it, it's it's the luck of the draw. Norman said that uh, it was because of my grandmother's protective spells said about me. My, I'm I'm Wiccan, and, and the craft goes way back in my family for a long, long ways. And according to Norman, who was very sensitive to these things, Grandma said all kinds of protection around me. And she may have done. I'm sure she did. And maybe that's why. Who knows? You know, it's as good an explanation as any. Mm -hmm. Right. <laughs> so, 
Well, you know, if you add, okay, so let, well, let's add that on top of everything, right? Mm-hmm. The, the, you know, Wicca is not widely accepted, um, especially in the Christian community, right? Of which I am not a part. Right. So, um, me what? either. Go on. <laughs> well, neither <laughs> am I, but, um, <laughs> but it's, you know, if you, if you, take the pulse, right, uh, of, of the country and in, in kind of where we're at. What does, how did, how did that spirituality guide you through this whole, this whole experience? Well, for one thing, it gave me practical things to do. Wicca is both a, a belief uh, system mm-hmm. and, and a craft. Um, the, the you know the the art of spell casting for example is is very specific and while you can do some things with 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 spells with magic with wicca there are things you can't do you're not going to move the earth off its axis right right <laughs> and there are things you can do that you shouldn't do mm-hmm. like ensorceling people into into bed with you that can be done believe it or not it can be done i've seen it done i've never done it myself and i would never do it because it obviates the other person's free will. But I've seen it done, and it never works out well, believe me. Uh-huh. Um, what it does give you, though, are, are specific specific working, specific things that you can do to help the immediate situation, to ameliorate this or that problem, this or that set of pains, if you see what I mean. Mm-hmm. But more than that, to bring you a sense of, of peace, and um, and protection and and, and love um, and and to spread that, um, I, I can give you an excellent example. Probably the best example I've, I've ever seen in my life. Um, Norman's apartment was in Brooklyn. It was a lovely apartment, but there came a point where he had to move to Manhattan to be near uh, GMHC and the hospital and his doctor, right? So we set about looking for an apartment in Manhattan, which, as you know, under the best circumstances, is a nightmare. But we found one, finally, after looking for, for, for six months. We found a really good one. But in that process, I learned a lot. Um, I learned a few things about what it's like to be a black man in America, for one thing. Um, Norman was raised in the little village of New Hamburg, uh, up along the Hudson, below Poughkeepsie. And his was the only black family in town. And Norman could speak just like a valley boy. And he would get on the phone and he would, you know, inquire about an apartment. And they would say, oh, yes, Mr. Williams, we we have this apartment available. Do come and see us. And he would show up and it would be, oh, you're Mr. Williams. Oh, I'm so sorry. The apartment was just rented. But you know how (laughs) that happens to you a couple of times. You know what's going on. Okay, well, one time Norman wasn't feeling well. And so I went to see the apartment. And it was way up Upper Manhattan, um, so that wasn't really too cool because we wanted one in Lower Manhattan. But I went to look for it, and um, the landlord shows me the place, and it was not the best apartment in the world, but it would have done. And so I began to talk business with him. I said, "Well, you know, this is going to be uh, rented in the name of uh, Mr. Williams, and uh, here's his identification, and you know, the rent will be subsidized by Division of of AIDS Benefits." And he turned around and looked at me and said, I'm not having no AIDS-carrying nigger in my building. And I said, what? What did you just say to me? Now, you know, I was raised as a member of the WASP gentry. We don't make a scene, right? I completely exploded. I was screaming at the guy that I would have him in court. I would sue him. And he very calmly says, go ahead. So by the time you get in court, your friend will be dead. Oh, my God, what a son of a... Well, what an unpleasant person. So I was I was really completely freaked out by it. And I went back and I told Norm what had happened. And, you know, he didn't really get upset. He just got really sad. And he said, you know, I feel so bad for that man because he just has a little stone for a heart and there's there's no love in him. And Norman went off and he did a working to send love to the man, which... Right there proves that Norm was a better man than I am. And very true. Two days later, 
And I'm just telling you what happened. I'm not drawing cause and effect here. I'm just telling you what happened. Two days later, we got a phone call from that landlord. He said he was sorry he said what he said. And if we wanted the apartment, it was ours. Wow. We, we didn't take it because by that time we'd found a, a much better one um, in a building with <laughs> that was just wonderful. The landlord was gay, very supportive. The uh, building superintendent was great, Ivan Bell. Uh, Ivan was a, a Stonewall vet and a drag queen who did this Carmen Miranda act. He looked like Mick Jagger dressed up as Carmen Miranda. He was fabulous. And the people in that building were so cool. They, they took care of Norman when I wasn't there. They, they, you know, they looked after him. It was, it was really a wonderful situation. But there's an example, you know. Um, did Norman's sending of love work? Maybe. Very interesting. Way, you know? um, very, very interesting. So Wicked gives you things you can do about stuff. Mm-hmm. You know? um, I mentioned that uh, I met Norman in the Adonis. Um, shall I read the poem about that? Absolutely. Yeah, Please do. I'll never go again to the Adonis. It's gone now. No loss, you say? A foul and filthy nest of darkened fame, a place that's like to bring the plague upon us. So you claim, and well you may. I'll not deny it was a pit of shame. Yet no darkness is so absolute that no light shines within, no place beyond the reach of God's good grace, no evil in this world so resolute that it claims all for sin, for it was there that first I saw his face. He turned, and looking up at me, I met his eyes, saw a light enough for that whole house and more, enough to touch the whole damned human race. I could not then know, was I a fool or wise, but this I know, I loved him from the door. I love him still, through all the time and space that has elapsed since first he took my hand. The Adonis had to close said well-intentioned men in gray wool suits. It wasn't safe, they said, you understand, to walk among the thorns and find a rose. Well, that was sweet. It, it has a, and you probably don't, <laughs> I'm probably oversimplifying, but that was, that had a sweet kind of intent to it. It, it was, here you are in this gritty, dark dungeon and finding the finding a rose yeah. in, in that darkness. How sweet. That was very sweet. Thank you. You're welcome. Uh, I wrote a few poems uh, of, you know, what life was like before the diagnosis. Mm-hmm. Here's one called He's Mine. My baby can dance. There is no one on the floor that can have them watching more. All the boys are looking sharp. All the boys are looking cool. But each one would play the fool, try to take my place from me, because my boy can dance. He can twirl and weave and leap, or he can slow it to a creep, or so fast he's just a blur. He would never miss a beat on the floor or on the street. Oh, can my boy dance? My baby can love. He can make my body sing. When he's in me, I can bring the stars to my fingertips. Only his electric touch can create within me such a storm of fire and ice because my boy can love. My baby can live. When I'm with him, there's no other. Friend, relation, father, mother takes my thoughts away from him. New adventures every day, walking our less trodden way, making all the world our own. Oh, can my boy live? Oh, that was nice. But then you know you begin to get little hints that maybe something is on the horizon. Mm-hmm. Here's one called Harbinger. Is something wrong? A little thing? Uh, discordant in the song? Not just today. Sometimes you seem so distracted in écarté. What's on your mind that you won't tell? What new secret might I find? I fear to ask. The answer might only mean some little task or... It might start the familiar process of a broken heart. And then we come to diagnosis. How could I know this was coming and be so unprepared? Why do I want to tell everyone when you don't want it shared? 
Once I thought, re- what, though, I, though I once thought religion to me was dead, why was, oh Christ, the first thing I said. Why do I think, get more herbs or find just the right book? I haven't lit enough candles. I'm not a good enough cook. If I could do a little bit better now, if I could work a whole lot harder somehow, if I could see what lies ahead and keep my thinking clear, if I could care for all the details and not give in to fear, I believe we can beat this awful beast with the strength of everything we've shared. But since I believe with heart and soul, why am I so fucking scared? You know, when I um, read that in the email that you sent me, uh, Toby, it immediately took me to my mother um, because my mother, when my father passed away uh, from cancer a couple years ago, my mother, I I just pictured her having all those thoughts in her head because she did all this research online and looked for everything she could possibly do to make it, you know, better to find, you know, easier cure where there was shark cartilage and things like that. And it just just really shows, you know... it really comes across the, the feelings of, of a partner who's losing somebody to a disease or to anything where you know that that person is, is eventually going. One of the and diff- ask all those questions. One of the difficult things, really, that you have to deal with is all the false hopes. Um, mm-hmm. um, in fact, the next poem is about that. It's called Rumors of a Cure. Is this the day? Will there be a message or a story in the news? Is it today? Do the rumors presage whether we win or lose? I cannot say. Is this the path, this latest book I found? The author claims a cure. Just do the math. There's a gross of these around, each one unique and pure. They are the laugh of plaster hope, a stucco edifice of insubstantial dreams that helps us cope upon a precipice where each new rumor seems a fraying rope. Yeah, they get a little tired from it all, you know. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, I I remember seeing my mom go through the process of, you know, losing my dad, and it was something that it was just it's heartbreaking to for me to see, let alone to experience. So, you know, it, it, you can really feel your message in in your in your words and in, in what you write. It's it's really there. You can feel it. The next one is 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 in fact about, you know, being that. The caretaker. Mm-hmm. It's called well, Help Wanted. That one. Help Wanted. Need some help around the house. A few things I can't do. It's not the floors or windows or cleaning up the loo. It isn't even laundry, though that's increased of late since he's begun to slide toward an incontinent state. I'm happy to do all that work. I'm glad to have the chance. Burns up nervous energy since we no longer dance. I need someone to polish up his eyes that have grown dim. I need some help to reignite his laugh and sense of whim. His arms and legs need buffing. They've grown so very thin. I haven't mopped up all the tears in so long. It's a sin. We've got a job needs doing, but it's no use to try. Caregiver needs care given. No one need apply. I love that last two lines. The caregiver needs care given, no one need apply. It's just like <clears throat> very deep. You know, it's you, you do feel, no matter how much help you have, there comes a point where, where you have to deal with it alone, you know, because this is the, the person you love. He's not your friend. He's not your acquaintance. He's not a case you're managing. He's the one you love, and you have to deal with that alone. Now, now, during these two years, and you're writing these poetry, are you getting support by going to like, uh, you know, support meetings for family members and loved ones, or did you go and maybe see a counselor no. or somebody like that to talk to, or did you just really just pour it all out on the pad? I I didn't do any of that. I, I did it all um, on my own. Um, and as I said, my my friends who were always there for me to talk to were my counselors, really, and my support. Um, and writing. Um, to tell you the truth, I think I was too busy to go to a support group. <laughs> there never seemed to be enough time in the day to, to deal with everything that had to be done. Um, a lot of support groups were, uh, I think, especially at that time, were 
were uh, religious organizations, and they drove me crazier than anything. Um, the attitude of, of most mainstream religions, especially at that time, was, um, well, it varied from, um, you know, you're, you're getting your just desserts for being a sinner and God hates you, to, right. um, you know, yes, it's a sin, but we love you in spite of your sin. And I don't know, maybe the condescension of that infuriated me even more than the other. Um, in fact, the next poem is about that. Um, what a world. What a world of liars is this, where artifice grows fat and truth is starved. Oh yes, there are temples here. Churches, charming to behold. And there's the law courts, domed in gold, with noble dictums on the lintels carved. Yes, they keep great state, and fair are their lofty pomps to see, decked in gauds of eternity. Wise seem their scholars and their learned men, so full of studied, pithy wit. And priests, so holy and so kissed with sanctity, enfolding like a mist, which so fortunately obscures the ken of reeking falsehood which doth sit, just behind these painted dreams, seething hatred and murderous schemes, what a world of liars is this. Love the sinner is what they say. God loves you, and to show has sent a curse, rotting slowly flesh and mind. You must praise his holy name, though you're marked for eternal shame. We love you, and we hope you suffer worse. It proves you and all your kind to our dogmatic truths are blind. But because we are so pure, we love you. For we alone whom God has blessed are privileged to prescribe the way for you to live and who to love and know that holy God above with righteous judgment is obsessed. With plague and thunder hear him say, I love you and have sent you pain. Oh, let this be our true refrain. Let this love the sinners and make them pay. What a world of liars is this. Hmm. Interesting. Just real quick, I want to open up the lines. Um, if uh, anybody would like to call in and and have a comment um, about some of the poems that you just heard or about some of the story that Toby was sharing a bit earlier about being a caregiver, you can give us a call here at 347-215-9442. And, you know, one thing I did want to talk about, Toby, is I wanted to talk about um, <clears throat> the magazine that you, you know, um, run a little bit. See, so I told you there was a teaser it. about magazines. <laughs> well, I just saw the time, and like the hour almost flew by, so I just wanted to make sure we got that out beforehand. Oh, my God. I just looked at the clock. It's 947. Right? Wow. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, Out in Jersey magazine, which is www.outinjersey.net, um, is um, a publication that the publisher, Pete Fricky, and I started uh, uh, about 10 years ago because we knew that uh, New Jersey was moving into a crucial time for LGBT rights. We, we knew that domestic partnerships, civil union, uh, reforms of the, uh, of the uh, hate laws, and so on, um, transgender, uh, all, all of this was legally coming into, um, into the immediate future. We knew that. And New Jersey didn't have a voice. Um, New York, Philadelphia have great publications. But they're, they're regional. You know, they cover New York and they cover Philadelphia. And nobody pays attention to New Jersey unless somebody gets murdered. So we acquired a local publication and put a whole lot of time, energy, money, and work into it and made it statewide. And uh, now, New Jer now out in Jersey is, uh, is one of the largest uh, LGBT regionals in the country, really. And we like to think one of the most respected. Um, we're very much a content-oriented publication. Um, and we have a fantastic staff, and I'll tell you and your listeners a, a, a deep, dark secret. Um, we try to put up a very slick, professional front, and everybody thinks we've probably got some kind of office building in, in Trenton with, you know, out in Jersey and neon on the top like the Daily Planet. <laughs> Actually, it's all done on the Internet. Our office is Pete's guest bedroom where he keeps the computers that, that house the books, you know, they keep the books on Everything else is done on the Internet, and nobody gets paid. Uh, neither, neither Pete nor I nor any of the staff. Uh, uh, it's all a volunteer effort, um, and that speaks very highly of, of the 
dedication and professionalism of some of the, some of the wonderful people that we have uh, uh, that help us put this together every two months. They're they're a fantastic crew. We love them all very much, and they do it because they believe that it needs to be done. Um, that our community has to be heard. I think that's great, you know what I mean, because it's it's it always seems I always hear these stories about these organizations, um, you know, like your magazine that are all, you know, they're all volunteers and it's these organizations that aren't run by these big businesses and these big corporations that seem to be really making a big powerful difference in our communities, whether it's, you know, in the LGBT community or in the HIV AIDS community, but like these I forget the the word I want to look for, I can't get it out of my mouth. I can't think of what it is, but um, you know these people that are not doing anything to make money off of it are just doing it for the good of humanity. You know what I mean? It often, They're the ones it, that are really making a difference. It also it often produces a much uh, more important product. You know, when when you right. look at uh, publications, uh, especially in our niche area, you know, gay publications that were independent and then were subsequently acquired by some corporation. Um, in almost every case, uh, the quality goes right downhill. You know. Um, Very true. So we is do the it magazine, because we're dedicated to it. Is the magazine strictly online, or is, are there actually? Um, oh no, it's a print. It's a print magazine. Mm-hmm. Um, our online uh, edition, which we can update daily, is growing by leaps and bounds. That's clearly where the future is. But we put out a print edition every two months just to maintain our months. level of respectability. Right. And is it free or? It's free, yeah. It it's is advertised free. So, and paid for. Okay. Um, and online there's a list of, uh, of locations, distribution locations, which range from county libraries to Borders Books to uh, all kinds of businesses of all different kinds. Um, and they're all over the state pretty much. And people can subscribe if they're if they you know live in some inconvenient location. And and um, and they can mail it. Yeah. Okay. Great. So um, we are down to our last nine minutes, eight minutes now. Um, holy smokes, the hour went by by quick. Um, what parting thoughts would you like to leave? Um, would you like to leave everybody with? who might be going through a very similar experience that you've gone through? I would say that um, the experience for Norman and I was uh, was one of spiritual development more than anything. Um, if you had asked me um, before all this happened, is there more to life than what we experience? Is there an afterlife? Are there other levels of, of, of existence, other dimensions? I would have said, I don't know. I'll find out when the time comes. But having gone through this with Norman, um, I believe there is more to it than just what we experience in this life. Um, I know that about a, about a year before Norman passed, um, I arrived at the hospital. He was in the hospital at the time, and I arrived at the hospital early on a Saturday morning, and Norman was sitting up in bed. He said, hey, Grace, what do you think? I met an angel last night. I said, oh? I mean, what do you say when somebody says an angel came to see them, you know? I said, okay. He said, the angel, he came to see me, and he asked me if I was ready to go. And I said, I wasn't yet. But um, And he said I could stay a while, but there'd be some pain. And And he gave me his name and said that, when I was ready to go, I should call on his name, and he would come for me. I said, okay, all right, fine. Um, did you want, you know, sugar with your coffee this morning? <laughs> How do you deal with that, all right? So, okay. Um, in the end, and the year goes by, and, and, and it's quite clear we're at the end. And Norman wanted to spend his last few days at his mother's home in New Hamburg, which is right on the Hudson River, and her, her lawn goes right down to the water. And it's a beautiful place. And his mother is a wonderful, wonderful person whom I love very much. Um, so uh, we set up his bed in, in this in the living room where he could see through these sliding glass doors. He could see the river and everything, right? And um, he was at home for two weeks, right, before the, the end came. And I was with him at the end. He, he couldn't speak anymore. He, the last three days he couldn't couldn't speak. In fact, the last thing he ever said 
was I love you. Wow. Anyway, um, his last night, um, I you know it was quite clear that we were at the end. I took him in in my arms and I said, Norman, it's it's time. Call the angel. And I could see his mouth moving and making the, the syllables. And at that very instant, he was gone, and all the lights in the Hamburg in the Newburg in the Newburg. Uh, Hamburg region, all the all the lights went out right at that instant. Complete power wow. failure. Now, again, I'm not drawing a cause and effect. I'm just telling you what happened. You know, I'll I'll, I'll quote Shakespeare. You know, heaven itself doth mark the death of princes. Now that was pretty dramatic, but um, it's amazing. There's more to it. Three days later, we buried him, and it was a big funeral because everybody loved Norman. And uh, we were interring him in this country graveyard. And as we lowered the coffin uh, into the grave, my friend Leon tapped me on the shoulder and pointed up. And there was a golden eagle, which was Norman's shamanic figure, his his spirit quest figure. Um, And the eagles were very important to him. He had images of eagles all over the place. And this golden eagle circled the grave very low, three times and threw off into, flew off into the east and everybody that was there and there must have been 200 people at the gravesite everybody froze we all had the same the same thought simultaneously it was his spirit guide and Norman was being taken home and we were given the privilege of seeing it well, now what have I told you I've told you we saw a bird you know <laughs> That's all I've told you because it's it's experiential, you know. It can't right. be it can't be communicated by a simple recounting of events. But those things showed me, you know. And then later, for the six months really following his death, Norman came to see every single person that was important to him, me, his mother, either in a vivid dream or, in the case of his mother, in an actual waking vision, in which. He told us all that everything we'd done, all the prayers and spells and everything, had worked because now he was healed. And we would all be together again. And definitely, I, you know, definitely have had, you know, experiences where people have had visions and, and have had, you know, visits in, in their dreams. I know, you know, my partner is very spiritual and does a lot of, um, you know, work in that field. He's actually, um, Community. He's actually a medium, and he does events like that. So I know that there's a another side, and those things do happen. So I just think it's just very precious that you came on and shared your story with us, and and shared Norman's story because um, we're down to the last couple minutes. So I just want to thank you so much for for really a different side of of a way to look at life and to look at you know a caregiver because we never had that point of view on. So I think it was a important. pleasure. Yes, thank you, thank you, you so much, Toby. My pleasure. Yes, Toby, you have a great night. You too. Thanks. And you guys can find um, Toby's magazine out in Jersey at www.outinjersey.net. So we've got about a minute left here, Jeremy. Um, okay. Pretty intense. The poetry was really um, really touching, really incredible, really like you, you felt it when he read it. His voice was magical, like I was telling you in the chat room. It was very like, very like you just fell into it when he was reading. It was very like, you could, I don't know. It was just very touching for me. <laughs> I thought very, it, very good. I, I thought he had a great. Um, I, I thought he just had had a great. Um, he had a great delivery. Yeah. You know, and you, you could tell how you could tell you could still feel the love that he had. You know what I mean? And that connection that he has with his partner. Just when he was talking about it, it was like, it was just, I don't know, it was just very refreshing to hear. And, you know, I hope that this hour, him sharing, you know, Norman with us, you know, that he he kind of relived those memories a little bit, and it kind of, you know, brought him some joy, I hope. I hope so, too. Yeah, I do. So um, you just put up a new blog post, didn't you? Uh, Last week. Yes, and people can find your blog at? Oh, PositivelySpeaking.com. 
You all right there, Jeremy? <laughs> like, I, I am. I'm, I'm just, I'm, it's down to the last couple minutes, and I'm, I've got a couple chats going on and trying to you know, right. just keep everybody. Well, it's like, yes, PositivelySpeaking.com. That's right. You can find more information on the radio show and myself at POSIM.com. Thanks for Daddy Dab and Spirit Man for tuning in. And yes, for everyone thanks, else, have Daddy. a great night. And next week, um, I will be off, so Jeremy will be hosting with Jack, and you have a great guest lined up, so don't forget to tune in. Have a good night, everyone. Have a good night, everybody. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boost by tax day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. You know you Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial, LLC, member SIPC.